Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we have a talk from James Jordan on Psalms 1 and 2. And as always, we do invite you to check out those show notes, where you'll find links to our social media handles, as well as our YouTube channel, and recent publications from Theopolis Books. We want to thank you so much for listening. We hope that you are sharpened by this time of teaching. And here is James Jordan with a discussion of Psalms 1 and 2. Psalms 1 and 2. Chances are, no one has ever said to you before that Psalms 1 and 2 are one psalm. But as a matter of fact, if we go back to the ancient world and to the rabbis and to the Jewish versions of the Bible, we find that many times these are combined. The Jewish text of the Psalms does not have them numbered. They're just there one after another. It's not always possible to know which Psalms belong together. It's obvious in our English Bible that some Psalms have been split up because the translation that we have comes from a... Hebrew text, which is in the Middle Ages. So, for instance, Psalm 42 has two stanzas, and both of those stanzas ends, Why art thou disquieted, O my soul, trust in God, for I will yet praise Him. And then Psalm 43 goes right on and does exactly the same thing. In fact, if you look at it, I'll just show you this as an example. One that's the most obvious example in the Psalter of a psalm that's been split up is Psalm 42:43. Psalm 42 has a title. It says, For the choir director, a masquee of the sons of Korah. Psalm 43 doesn't have a title. Now, all the rest of the psalms that follow it do have titles. <laughs> Psalm 43, obviously, is just the second part of Psalm 42. It has the same refrain. Psalm 43 ends, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? In other words... This is the third stanza of what starts in Psalm 42. And as a matter of fact, some ancient texts have it that way. But we don't have it that way in the Bible as it's presently set out. Another example is Psalms 9 and 10, which are one psalm. You can't see this in English, but Psalm 9, well you can see this, Psalm 9 has a title for the choir director on Muth Laban, a psalm of David. Psalm 10 doesn't have a title. But what you can't see in English is that Psalms 9 and 10 are an alphabetical psalm. And it starts in Psalm 9 and ends in Psalm 10. Each with the letters of the alphabet, Hebrew alphabet, moving through from Aleph to Tav. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Tav, Hey. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Hey, Vav, uh, whatever it is. I can't remember right off the bat. Well, I can remember. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Hey, Vav, Zion. Cheth, Teth, Yod, Kaf, Lamed, Mem, Nun, so forth, right through. And Psalm 9 and 10 just it flows through. So at some point, somebody divided these up for liturgical reasons. Let's sing this half, let's sing this half. But they were composed as one poem by David. Now what about Psalms 1 and 2? There are two others in the Old Testament, Psalm 32 and 33, Psalm 70 and 71, almost certainly originally were one psalm. about Psalm 1 and 2? Well, we know the rabbis often considered it as one psalm. 
in the time of Jesus, the early stuff that we have, sometimes they're considered as two psalms, sometimes they're considered as one psalm. And very interestingly, this is the last time you'll need to look anything up if you want to, Acts 13.33, Acts 13.33, Seth, as follows. God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that He raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my Son, today I have begotten Thee. That's what your Bible says, right? As it is said in the second psalm, Thou art my Son, today I have begotten Thee. Which is exactly right in our Bible. That's a phrase from the second psalm. But many early Greek manuscripts of Acts 13.33 call this the first psalm. It says, as it is written in the first psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. We don't know which Luke wrote. Did Luke write first psalm? Or did Luke write second psalm? Either way, whichever one he wrote, since there were different versions of the Psalter floating around at this time in history, one scribe or another changed it so that we now have two manuscripts. Now, all of this shows that there is an ancient tradition for considering Psalm 1 and 2 as one psalm. And as we look at it today, you'll see why. Well, how did this come about? Well, there are three possibilities. Number one, whoever wrote Psalms 1 and 2, and we're not told. We assume they're David, but we're not told. Wrote them as one psalm, and later on they were divided up because they can be. Psalm 1 has a chiastic structure. Psalm 2 has a chiastic structure. So you can separate them. As we'll see, both of them together have a chiastic structure as well. But you can separate them, and at some point they were separated. Another possibility is that originally these were two different psalms, and they were combined together. Somebody said, you know, these psalms complement each other as the right hand complements the left hand, as the husband complements the wife. Let's put them together and use them together as one psalm. That's a possibility. The third possibility is that Psalm 1 was written first and then Psalm 2 was added later on. Somebody read Psalm 1 and reflected on it and produced Psalm 2 as a deliberate second half. So originally there was just Psalm 1 and then Psalm 2 was added to it as kind of a part 2 or a second stanza. Well, we don't know. We don't know which of those options to go with. I guess if I had to guess, it would probably be the last one. Since you've got manuscripts that have them as two psalms and manuscripts that have them as one psalm, it seems unlikely that they were originally two completely separate psalms that were put together. Either they were originally one psalm that was divided or a first psalm that had a second part added to it that later on took a life of its own. Now what we're going to do is we're just going to read this psalm through this joint psalm, and we're going to consider it as one psalm today. Because you've got manuscripts in both directions, I think you can preach it and teach it either way, but we usually hear it preached to Psalm 1 and then some other week Psalm 2. Today we're going to do it together to see how they link. And we're just going to look at it several times. And to start with, I want us to read together, not responsively, but in what is called choral reading, where we all read together, the psalm, and it begins in the middle of the first page of your notes. And notice as you go the inverse parallelisms. 
Now, I've translated it in such a way that you see this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and in the way of sinners does not stand. And in the seat of mockers does not sit, but rather in Yahweh's teaching is his delight. See, delight matches up with mockers. So, sometimes the parallelism is direct, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, and sometimes it's inverted. And as we read, just kind of feel that rhythm as you go, because that's part of the form and structure of the way God has written this. So let's read together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and in the way of sinners does not stand, and in the seat of mockers does not sit, but rather in Yahweh's teaching is his delight. And on his teaching he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of waters, who yields his fruit in his season, does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, but rather they are like the chaff that wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Why do nations conspire, and peoples murmur a vain thing? Possessioned are earth's kings, and rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off of us their robes. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. My Lord scoffs at them. Then he speaks to them in his wrath, and in his burning anger he terrifies them, saying, I myself have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will declare the statute. Yahweh said to me, My son you are. I myself today have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make nations your inheritance, and your possession the ends of the earth. You will rule them with an iron scepter, like a vessel of clay will you smash them. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, you judges of earth. Serve Yahweh with fear, and exult with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. I hope that when you do this kind of thing, and you should read the Psalms out loud, and I wish that our translations were, well, one reason I make my own is so that I can pull out these musical qualities to it. Because you don't feel this musical rhythm. And the Psalm opens up in a very musical way. I mean, you don't have notes, but... Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and in the way of sinners does not stand. And in the seat of mockers does not sit, but rather in Yahweh's teaching is his delight. And on his teaching he meditates day and night. That has a very musical, complimentary feel to it. And it's good to take note of that because that's part of the revelation of God. Now, as we get into this... Let's look at how Psalm 1 is put together. Remember that these psalms, that David was a trained scribe. In the ancient world, most people couldn't read and write. And if you were trained to read and write, you were trained to do it 
in a highfalutin way. <laughs> Not just so you could read the newspaper, but so that you could write poetry. And these are poems. Not only that, but God the Holy Spirit was moving with David, so we're not surprised to find real meaningful structure of thought here. And Psalm 1 has a chiastic structure. It begins, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and in the way of sinners does not stand. And if we look at the end of the psalm, it says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, which links up with counsel. It's nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. We begin with the counsel of the wicked. We have the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. Up above in line 2, we have the way of sinners. Here is the way of the righteous. And the way of the wicked shall perish. So the ideas that are at the beginning of the psalm, the counsel, the gathering together of the wicked, and their way, which doesn't stand, is answered at the end. The wicked aren't going to stand in the judgment. There is another congregation, the counsel of the righteous, and there is another way, a way of the righteous, which contrasts with the way of sinners and which is blessed. But moving in from that, we have two rather statements. Lines 3 and 4. These are not verses, but lines. In the seat of mockers does not sit, but rather in Yahweh's teaching is his delight. And we look to the matching statements here. But rather they are like chaff that wind blows away. Well, so much for seats of mockers. Mocker sits in his seat. He's comfortable. He scoffs at everything. He's got a little sarcastic remark to say about everything that you say. You know, you say, I really wish such and such, and he sneers at you. People do this to you? I encounter it. There's always some sharp remark to everything that means something to you. It just kind of kills you on the inside when somebody does that. Well, their seat doesn't last very long because they're just like chaff that the wind blows away. Yeah, like that. They don't last. They may think they're sitting secure but the wind blows them away. Well, then as we move in, we find that the righteous man meditates on the teaching, the Torah, day and night, matching that as a statement, not so the wicked, which once we get it in chiastic structure, we see what the wicked really don't do is meditate day and night on the Word of God. And then as we move to the center, the righteous man or woman, he is like a tree planted by streams of waters, who yields his fruit in his season, and his leaf does not wither. For some reason, the bold face got on the wrong place there, but fruit and leaf should be parallel. And that's right at the center. Fruit and leaf of the righteous. And then moving back out, whatever he does prospers. He's like a tree planted, and whatever he does prospers. He's planted down, fruit and leaf grow, and everything prospers. That's Psalm 1. And at the center of this psalm is the idea of the righteous person who meditates on Yahweh's teaching day and night and who is prosperous. Now let me ask you something. If you are... Let's say that we have Psalm 1. David has written Psalm 1. And under divine inspiration, a few years later, David comes back to me and thinks about it. You know, God told me to say that 
the righteous man meditates day and night. Everything he does prospers. But I've never seen anybody, the most righteous people I've ever seen, they don't meditate day and night. And it's not true that everything they do prospers. Not everything Samuel did prospers. Who do you suppose the righteous man really is, thinks David? Well, Psalm 2 tells you. Psalm 2 starts up where Psalm 1 leaves off. Psalm 1 says the way of the wicked will perish. Well, what is this way of the wicked? Well, here it is. The nations conspire. The peoples murmur a vain thing. Positioned are earth's kings. Rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed. That's the way Psalm 2 opens. And what's right in the middle of Psalm 2? The anointed king, the son. He is the one who's the true tree planted by rivers of water. See how Psalm 2 picks up from Psalm 1 and makes kind of a climactic application of it. Where Psalm 1 is talking about ordinary life, ordinary wicked people, ordinary righteous people, Psalm 2 is talking about the Messiah and his demonic enemies. And notice Psalm 2 in its chiastic structure here. It starts off that the nations conspire, the peoples murmur, the earth's kings have taken a position, their rulers have taken counsel, and it ends... Lines 38-39, Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, you judges of earth. Well, there's earth's kings, right from the beginning of the psalm. And that first section continues to say they take counsel against Yahweh. Well, the last section continues to say that they're to serve Yahweh with fear. And then it says they take counsel against Yahweh and against His anointed, and the last section continues by saying that they're to serve Yahweh and kiss the Son, who is the anointed. So the progression of thought in the last section is the same as the progression of thought in the first section. The kings are against Yahweh and against His anointed. The kings had better serve Yahweh and kiss the anointed. Well, moving in on Psalm 2, the second section, the kings say, let's break their chains and cast off their ropes. And that's mashed with the idea that the Messiah will rule them with an iron scepter. So far from breaking off their chains and getting free, they're going to be bound even more tightly. And the iron chains are matched up with the iron scepter. And then in the center, we have the statements of God. The one enthroned in heaven's laughs, my Lord scoffs at them. He speaks to them, and he says that he has installed his king. And that thought continues again with the speaking. I will declare the statute. Yahweh said to me, he speaks to them. He says to Jesus, my son you are. So, in the middle section, the first of the two middle sections... Yahweh speaks to the wicked and tells them he has installed his king. In the second section, Yahweh speaks to the king and says, My son, you are. Speaking to David, but through David, to Jesus. So Psalm 2 also has this rhythmic structure. The kings conspire. They want to break off the chains. God laughs at them. Because you're not going to get anywhere because I have installed my king. And that terrifies them. The most terrifying thing they can hear 
is that Jesus has been made king. God goes on to say to Jesus, I've given you everything, you're going to rule over everything. And then we turn back to the kings and tell them to wise up. Oh, now therefore, wise up, O kings. Now turn to the next page of your notes. And we're going to notice how Psalms 1 and 2 were laid out parallel to one another and just how intense that parallel is. And maybe we can do this as a dialogue sermon, as if it were Sunday school, and you can tell me some of the things you notice. Notice in the first section here, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and in the way of sinners does not stand. What do you see in Psalm 2 that corresponds to those ideas? Just read it out. Psalm 2 is right parallel to it in the column next to it. The counsel of the wicked. Do you see anything about counsel in Psalm 2 that's parallel? The rulers take counsel together. And without the same word, why do the nations conspire? So if you look at where it says, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right next to it, why do the nations conspire? What do you see that corresponds to the way of sinners does not stand Anything about standing? Positioned. Positioned are earth's kings. So in Psalm 1, we've got the counsel of the wicked. In Psalm 2, we start off the same place. The nations conspire. They murmur. They take counsel together. And we find the way of sinners. The righteous man doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Where do the sinners stand? They stand positioned. Positioned our earth's kings against Yahweh, against his anointed, saying, let's break their chains and throw off their ropes. Well, look at the next section here. The thoughts continue down. And in the seat of mockers does not sit, but rather in Yahweh's teaching is his delight. What parallel ideas do you find in Psalm 2 for that? Enthroned would link with seat. What else? The seat of mockers does not sit. Mockers? My Lord scoffs at them. They mock Him, He mocks them. In Yahweh's teaching is His delight. Do we find any delight over in Psalm 2? The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. That's right. The seat of mockers, the one enthroned, the seat of mockers, Lord scoffs at them. In Yahweh's teaching is his delight, the one enthroned in heaven's laughs. So God takes delight, and God scoffs at those who scoff at him. And the statement in Yahweh's teaching is linked up to the last two phrases. I myself have been saying, well, this is the teaching right here. I myself have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. They mock in Psalm 1, in Psalm 2, God mocks. Adonai, my Lord, Master, scoffs at them, speaks to them in his wrath, and his burning anger terrifies them. And what's more terrifying than that Jesus is king to the wicked? Well, the next section shouldn't be too hard. What's parallel in Psalm 2 to the teaching in Psalm 1? And on his teaching he meditates day and night. What do you see next to that? 
the statute. I will declare, that's a teaching word, the statute. Now the next section is the center. The center of both Psalms says, and we don't have any parallel words here, but we have all the parallels now established that these two sections need to be thought of together. The righteous man is like a tree planted by rivers of water. My son, you are, I myself today have begotten you. The idea that God begets the Son, that the Son is established in the Father, that He is the Father's Son, is like the tree planted by streams of water. You stop and think about it. Maybe you haven't thought this way in a while, but children are comfortable and relaxed around their parents. Right? That's where they want to be. I mean, if a child is scared, he runs to his father or his mother. And particularly, I would suggest a child that's gotten past five or six years old is going to see his father as the stronger of the two, usually. And so the son grows out from the father. He is planted in the father. The father gives security. And you have all these horrible situations now where all these broken homes and kids growing up without fathers. Well, they're not planted. And they're insecure. And what happens to kids who are insecure and who are not planted in fathers? They go off and become members of gangs because they're looking for some place to be planted. So these ideas are in a deep way connected. To be planted by the streams of water is like to be planted in the kingdom. It's to be planted in the church. It's to be planted where the sacrament is. And ultimately, it's to be planted in the Father because you're begotten by Him. Similarly, it says that the righteous man yields his fruit in his season. And the idea of things coming in their proper season is picked up in Psalm 2, where it says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Nations don't come immediately, but they come in time. In their season, the nations become the inheritance of the Son. There's still a lot of nations out there that haven't yet become the inheritance, but they will. Eventually, all nations will be the inheritance of the Son, and His possession will be the ends of the earth. Whatever He does prospers. So these things are linked. The righteous man who's like a tree, the messianic Son who's planted in the Father and who rules over the earth. Well, then if we continue down with this parallel reading, the next section says, Not so the wicked, but rather they are like the chaff that wind blows away. And surely the same kind of idea is found in Psalm 2, where it says, You will rule them with an iron scepter like a vessel of clay. Will you smash them? It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? Chaff. Wind blows away. Clay pots that are smashed to powder. See, what is the chaff? Maybe you don't know. But when you have wheat, you pick the wheat and you get these berries, you get these uh, little nuts of wheat. And you rub them in your hands and all the little flaky outer husky parts come off. And they're all in a basket. The little heavy pieces of wheat or barley along with the outer skins and dry flaky parts. And then you get a wind going. And you take that basket and you toss it up in the air gently and the wind blows off all these light flaky pieces that you don't want to eat. But the berries, the nuts of wheat, raw wheat, are heavier and they fall back. So 
So in a gentle breeze, you toss it up. You're good. You have to be good to do this, but they have these big flat baskets, and they just toss them up a little bit, and the wind blows off this junk that you don't want to eat, and the nice beans of wheat fall back down inside there. Just blown away because it's light and it doesn't weigh anything. But if you're glorious, what are you? If you're righteous, you're glorious. And glorious means what? Heavy. You're either heavy, a heavy wheat berry, or you're chaff. And you're blown away. You're either bronze or you're a clay pot that gets smashed. Well, then as we follow the parallel order, we come to the two therefores. Therefore. Therefore, now therefore. Okay, see how those are parallel? The structure of these psalms. Therefore, the wicked will not stand, and sinners, two people here. Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, you judges, two people. The wicked and the sinners, the kings and the judges. Then in the last section, there are all kinds of parallels. First of all is the name Yahweh. Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. Serve Yahweh with fear and exult with trembling. And what else do we find? If you know, what else do you see that are parallel between these two last sections? Perish. And what else? What other word occurs in both? Way. Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked will perish. And in line 43, you perish in the way. And conceptually, there's one other thing. When it says Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, remember that in Hebrew, well, in English too, knowledge doesn't just mean Yahweh knows what the righteous are going to do. It means that He acknowledges it. That means that He's tied into it. Knowledge has to do with love, where Adam knew his wife Eve. Foreknowledge, as we understand it in the Bible, has to do with foreloving. And so... Yahweh knowing the way of the righteous, being connected to the way of the righteous, guarding the way of the righteous, walking hand in hand with the righteous is parallel to the idea of kissing the Son. Yahweh is linked up with the way of the righteous and the kings are told to link up with the Son. Kiss the Son. So both Psalms have the same structure. Psalm 2, we could say, is a midrash on Psalm 1. You know what a midrash is? It's kind of an applicatory commentary where you tell the story again only in a different way. For instance, we could have the story of Adam and Eve and we could make a midrash on that by saying once upon a time there was a king who didn't have a son and one day his wife gave him a son and the son grew up. But God had told the king not to eat of the forbidden fruit. But one day the serpent came and the king and his son were walking in the garden and the son ate of the forbidden fruit and gave to his father and the kingdom was lost. That would be a midrash on the story of Adam and Eve. In a way, Psalm 2 is a midrash on Psalm 1. Psalm 1, you've got the counsel of the wicked, the seat of the mockers, the righteous man planted, and a warning to the wicked. Psalm 2 does the same thing, only focusing in on the king and the king's kingly enemies. But we're not done. Because there's one other way these two are linked. Then it's really powerful to see 
I marvel to see how God writes the Bible. To me, that is enough of a sermon in itself just to say, wow. This plants me more deeply just to see how nobody could do this. We've seen that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 each have a structure and that together they're parallel. It's also true that together they form a chiasm. If you put the Psalms together, look at how they begin and end. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. You think that's an accident? No, that's not an accident. See? The counsel of the wicked versus refuge in God. And think about that. The wicked get together and they come up with some type of counsel. There's no particular leader. Each one wants to be a leader. So they negotiate their way through to some type of counsel. Well, that's not how we want to relate to God. We just want to hide in Him, take refuge in Him, and He'll give us all the counsel by Himself. Well, His three persons, they're the counsel. And yes, He includes the saints, He even includes us in the counsel. But basically, taking refuge in Him is the answer to hanging around the counsel of the wicked. The psalm ends and begins with blessing. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Rather, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Well, the next statement, and these are the B sections, says, in the way of sinners does not stand. And notice how the double psalm ends, the B prime section. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. That's the way of sinners. And the way of sinners does not stand. Instead, if you're on that way, you perish. You see, what does it mean that the way of sinners doesn't stand? Well, it's answered at the end. You will perish in that way. You'll perish because His wrath can flare up in a moment. He'll be angry. That's why the way of sinners doesn't stand. But then we move in again. The C section begins, In the seat of mockers does not sit. Oh, the mocker, he sits there and he scoffs at everything. He laughs at everything. He sneers at everything. How does it end? See prime. Serve Yahweh with fear. And no mockery and fear. And exult with trembling. Oh, the mocker laughs, but it's a sneering laugh that has no fear or that covers up fear with ridicule. We come down here and it says fear and laugh. Yeah, it's great to laugh. Exult. Jump for joy. I could have done that. I mean, the Hebrew, we could take the Hebrew and say that it means jump for joy, but if I translated it that way, I think we'd all feel like we were using street English instead of poetic English. And this is poetry. It's not written in common Hebrew. It's written in poetic Hebrew, so it needs to be translated as poetry. So I wouldn't really want to say and jump for joy with trembling, but that's kind of the idea here. That is what's in the Hebrew word. Exalt. Laugh. Don't be a mocker. Be a dancer. Don't sit and mock, but fear and rejoice and laugh that way. These two sections answer each other. And then the D sections as we move in. Rather in Yahweh's teaching is His delight. On His teaching He meditates day and night. And that's answered at the end by the statement, Therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned. Because Yahweh's Torah is what gives you wisdom and warning. And if you delight in the teaching 
And if you meditate in the Torah day and night, then you'll be wise and you'll be warned. Then we move in and we look at the two parallels we've already looked at. The man who's like a tree planted by rivers of water and so forth. And that's parallel to the son who receives everything. But look at the F sections and how closely parallel they are. F, line 10, not so the wicked, but rather they are like the chaff that wind blows away. And look at the F prime section, line 26. Then he speaks to them in his wrath and in his burning anger terrifies them, saying, I have installed my king. See, the chaff is light and he gets blown away, but the king is heavy and he's installed. He's enthroned. He's positioned. He isn't going anywhere. He's installed. And the chaff, it just is blown away. It's parallel to the idea that it's just burned up. It's light. It doesn't count for anything. But then as we move in further, the G section says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And the G prime says that God is enthroned in the heavens. The wicked will not stand in the judgment when the judgment seat comes and the enthroned one holds court nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. Enthronement. Judgment. And then we find the two center sections. Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. And then the next eight lines, the H prime section, tells us what the way of the wicked is. What is the way of the wicked? Well, it's when the nations conspire. Is when the peoples murmur a vain thing. They're murmuring. We don't like this. Earth's kings take a stand. Their rulers get together and say, what can we do to get rid of Yahweh and His anointed, His Messiah? Let us break their chains and throw off of us their ropes. That's the way of the wicked. And that's the center of the psalm. The psalm starts with blessing on the righteous and moves to the center where we see what the wicked are doing. They're conspiring. They doesn't get anywhere because God has set up a day of judgment, because God has set up His King. That's the message of the psalm taken together. And to be sure, if we read these psalms separately and never realized they could also be considered one psalm, we could get all these ideas, but it comes so much more pregnantly if we also take them together because that apparently is one of the ways that God wanted us to do this. The thing that we need to remember is that the man who's blessed does not join in the conspiracies of the wicked. This is a very white and black statement here. This psalm is the introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, the wicked then are expanded out to include the enemies and the best friend who betrays you and your own heart that fights against you and sickness and disease that comes upon you and the righteousness who listens to Yahweh's teaching that's expanded into Psalm 119 about the law and all the other teaching that's in the Bible exalting in Yahweh is expanded into the Hallelujah Psalms everything is here in dramatic terms and what it tells us is there are two ways there's the way of the sinner and there is the way of the righteous. And the way of the sinner is not only that he disobeys God's law, but particularly at the heart of the sinner is that he doesn't want God ruling over him. He doesn't want God telling him what to do. He doesn't want the Bible telling him what to do. 
at the center of the righteous is a happiness in Yahweh's teaching, meditating on it day and night. The result for the wicked is that they're like chaff. They just get blown away. They get burned up. God comes and crushes them. He shatters them like a clay pot. Just turns them to dust that wind blows away. The righteous, meanwhile, are established. They are installed. They are enthroned right next to God. They are planted with roots that go way down deep and grow and produce fruit and change the world and make it glorious. The wicked are debased. The righteous are glorified. And how does it happen? It happens if you pay attention to the Bible and think about it all the time. It doesn't happen any other way. There just isn't any other way. The only way Christians can grow, the only way human beings were designed to grow, is if they are planted in the Word of God. If they're planted in God and His Word. Now that, in a way, that's trivial. We all know that, but we have to be reminded of it. And planted in every conceivable way. There's no alternative. You're not going to grow from studying Greek philosophy. You won't grow from studying Cicero. We've got all these Christians around nowadays who say that, well, if we want to recover America, we should go back to the sources. We should read John Locke, and we should read Cicero, and we should read Plato. Who was the wisest king who ever lived? Solomon. Solomon didn't have any Plato, Cicero, Locke, or anybody else. He was planted in the Word of God. And it's not as if Plutarch has no insights. You can get insights from Plutarch and Dante and all the rest, especially the people like Dante who write in the Christian era. But there's no substitute for the Bible. And it seems as if Christians tend to just kind of look everywhere except the Bible to be planted in. If we want to be planted, if we want the wicked and their conspiracies to be defeated, it's the Bible that we must go to. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.